Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City Church, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. I've been teaching a series called Like Daniel. You know, it's uh if you're here this morning for the first time and you haven't been following along in the, ser- the, 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 the series, you say, well, what is that all about? Like Daniel. That's... Well, I was in prayer a while ago, several weeks ago, maybe a month and a half ago or something. And I was asking the Lord, you know, what should we do in light of all this going on, the political climate and everything else, you know, and everything that's happening in our nation? How should we be? How should we conduct ourselves as believers? And the Holy Spirit just clicked in my heart. He said, like Daniel. I'm like, what? <laughs> I mean, when you hear something like that, do you want to go and see what it's all about? So I got into the book of Daniel and I started reading it. And since then, I've read the Bible. I don't, I've read the book of Daniel, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 times just to, to just glean from it. Not so necessarily so much end time prophecies, which are there. But the life of Daniel the way Daniel conducted himself in the situation he was in. Now, how many of you know that sometimes we find ourselves in circumstances and situations that we didn't sign up for? Anybody ever been there? You know, you, you, you find yourself in a predicament, you know, and it's like, oh, what do I do? Well, here's what you do. You trust the Lord. And whatever, Paul said, I've learned in whatsoever state I'm in. That doesn't mean as he was traveling across the country and went to a different part of the country. But whatever position or whatever circumstance I am in, he said, I've learned therewith to be content. To be content. How do we be content in those kind of situations? Well, I think Daniel gives us some keys to that. Now, when we first started it, you know, we started the series, kind of laid a little background of Daniel. And uh, Daniel and three of his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were among about a thousand young royal uh, men, young men of royal lineage who were taken out of Judah, their nation of Judah, by the Babylonians and brought to Babylon. To, and, and there, they took the best looking of them, the strongest, the wisest, the most intelligent ones of the whole bunch. I don't know how they did that. Maybe they had tests for them or whatever. But of these, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel were... They were far superior than their peers, maybe in mathematics and maybe in just intellect and the way they looked and those kind of things. So the Babylonians took them and so they tried to change them. They, they stripped them of their names, which they had Hebrew names and they gave them Babylonian names, which were indicative of their God. And uh, they, they tried to change their God. They tried to change their name. They tried to change their identity by giving them different names. They did all these things so that they could try to make them more like them so they would be more serviceable to the king and to the nation. Well, Daniel, Shadrach, and Abednego found themselves in a situation and one of the tests that they had to go through was, shall we eat the food the Babylonians offer us because they were going to be fed from the king's table. And Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, well, you know, if you will allow us to, if you will, you know, they told the, the one that was over them, they said, if you will allow us, if you will just give us vegetables and water to drink, test us for 10 days and see what it looks like. And if we're getting skinny or whatever, you know, then uh, we'll eat the king's food, but just give us an opportunity to test this thing. So they did. And so 10 days later, they come back and they check them out. And actually, these guys are in better shape than their peers, 
So that was one check mark for them. They were good. They had other tests that they had to endure as to what they would do. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We know about the fiery furnace. Now, last week we talked about Daniel and his friends and, and what kind of friends he chose. You know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were men of character. But they would not bend, they wouldn't bow, they wouldn't give in to the king's desires and his wants. They wouldn't bow to his God, even though he set up a God that looked like himself. And I believe that Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king, had done this in response to a prophecy that Daniel had interpreted him. He had a dream, and Daniel interpreted the dream for him. And, and, and what he saw was this huge uh, thing that looked like a man that had a head of gold, a chest of silver, thighs of bronze, and feet of iron and clay. This represented the, the nations that were going to be coming after Nebuchadnezzar. And he says, you, Nebuchadnezzar, are the head of gold. But they were going to be coming after you. And he named these, these kingdoms that were coming after Nebuchadnezzar. So Nebuchadnezzar then said, well, you know, if, if they're going to do this, then I'm going to set up an a idol that looks like the one in my dream, but he's going to be 90 feet tall, nine feet wide, and he's going to made a, be made of pure gold. Because what did they say? The head is gold. So if I make this idol of pure gold, that means that my kingdom will endure. But God had another plan. His kingdom was not going to endure. And so he commanded everybody to bow down to this idol. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said no. And the king said, well, if you don't do it, I'm going to throw you into a fiery furnace. They said, do whatever you want, O king. Whatever you do, just know this. Our God is able to deliver us. But even if he doesn't deliver us, we're not going to bow down to your idol. So... Nebuchadnezzar got really mad and he said, all right, don't, don't just throw them in the fire. Let's heat the fire up seven times hotter. So they did. You know, sometimes your situation may get hotter before it gets better. Anybody ever been there? You're praying, you're asking, Lord, oh God, help me out of my situation. The Lord said, I'll help you. But first, let's heat it up a little bit. <laughs> let's make it a little hotter. And you have to go through this thing and it gets a little hotter. It gets a little more intense before you ever get through it. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were thrown into this fiery furnace that was heated seven times over. And even the ones that threw them in were killed by the flames. But a beautiful thing happened while they were in there. Nebuchadnezzar had positioned himself into a position where he could look into the fiery furnace. And as he's looking into the fiery furnace, he noticed that these guys were walking around in the fire, but they weren't alone. There was another person in the fire with them. Who do you think that might have been? And so Nebuchadnezzar says, wait a minute, didn't we throw three men in the fire, but there are four in there now. So he goes up to the furnace and yells out, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, has your God been able to save you? Come out. So they came out. And when they came out, they all gathered around them and they started sniffing them and everything else. And they had no smell of the fire. Their hair wasn't singed. The only thing that was burned on them was the bindings that had bound them, the ropes that they had tied them up with, the clothing that they threw them in with what didn't smell like smoke I mean you folks God has put us in this we are in this world we're not of it we don't have to smell of the world we don't have to look of the world we don't have to be of the world God has called us to be holy and set apart that's another message in itself but these guys came out pure as they went in so Daniel had chosen good friends how about you that's what we talked about last week bad company corrupts good morals so if we want to get through this thing, if we want to get to the other side of life, then we're going to have to be pure. We're going to have to not bow down to the gods around us. Keep your integrity intact. Now, this week, we're going to be talking about Daniel.
and his humility. Be humble like Daniel. One of the things that stood out to me about Daniel was that although God promoted him from his position, he was brought into Babylon as a slave. He was put in the king's court. He was educated in those things. But the one thing that I noticed about Daniel, when, when the situations really got tough, Daniel turned to his God. He prayed to the Lord three times a day. He constantly was a man of prayer, and God rewarded him for that. Because Daniel soon was elevated to the highest position among all the wise men in all of Babylon. That being all the astrologers and magicians and Chaldeans and all of those that were advisors to the king. Daniel was the wisest one of the whole bunch and he was promoted above all of them. How many know that promotion comes from the Lord? But how did he get there? Was it through ambition? Did Daniel say, I'm the smartest, wisest, best looking, strongest guy in the bunch, so therefore I deserve to be there? No, he didn't. He did not seek after position. He only honored God, but God elevated him to that position where he was probably second in command only to Nebuchadnezzar. Can you imagine that? Here's Daniel, this little guy that's brought from, from Judah into this kingdom of, of, of a king that had conquered the whole known world at that time. Well, then this becomes a problem for Nebuchadnezzar. Now, Nebuchadnezzar is, this is pretty much chronicled as, as his writing. Nebuchadnezzar, this is what he is saying in the fourth chapter of the book of Daniel. Let's go there, okay? And, and it says, in, and I'm going to give you one key verse to hold on to, okay? This is what we're going to be basically narrowing everything down to this morning. Is in verse 37 of chapter 4. It says, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the king of heaven for all his ways are just. And he is able to humble those who walk in pride. See, Nebuchadnezzar had witnessed the power of the Most High God in Daniel. And, and by Daniel's ability to interpret the dreams that, that Nebuchadnezzar had by the power of God. And, and, and Daniel and his friends, they, had, they possessed wisdom far above their, their fellows. And, and Nebuchadnezzar had witnessed the miracles of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he saw how God had delivered them. So he acknowledged the power of their God. But he wasn't really ready yet to worship their God. He only acknowledged them. Now one of the things that Nebuchadnezzar did when he conquered all these nations around him. One of the things he did to make the people like him a little bit better was he allowed them to keep and serve their gods. Nebuchadnezzar would even serve some of their gods too. Does that sound familiar? Sounds kind of like a nation I've heard of, something by the name of the United States of America or something like that. Well, they had all these gods and everybody was allowed to worship their own god and this, this kind of thing. So, you know, Nebuchadnezzar would even worship them. But then he had his own select gods that he worshiped. He even named Daniel after one of his gods and called him Belteshazzar. So he changed his name to reflect his own God. So then, you know, he, he wasn't really ready to worship God, but he was willing to acknowledge him. You know, that, that stands out to me because there are a lot of people in America today, a lot of people that we know, and, and this is not just in America, this is worldwide, where people will acknowledge God, but they don't worship him. James says it this way. He says, you believe in God, you do well. But the devils believe and they tremble. 
It's not just enough just to believe in God. We have this easy, easy believism philosophy in our nation, in, in our country, and even in the church today, that if we just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we're saved, we're good, we're going to heaven, but it requires no change on our part. So we're not really ready to worship the Lord. We're only willing to acknowledge him. So we acknowledge him with our mind, but our hearts are far from him. Like Jesus said of the scribes and the Pharisees, he says, you honor me with your lips. You honor God with your lips, but your hearts are far from him. Where's your heart this morning? Daniel's heart was with God. He served Almighty God. He would bow down to no other God. There was one God because he remembered the greatest commandment in the Hebrew Bible, the, the law of God was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. That was it. If you do that, Everything else falls into place. This was Daniel. He loved God above everything else. He was not going to bow down to any other idols or anything else. God, therefore, gave him favor. Daniel enjoyed favor with Nebuchadnezzar. When Nebuchadnezzar needed his dreams and his visions interpreted, nobody else could do it. Because they trusted in themselves. They trusted in their magic. But Daniel trusted in God. And God gave him not only the dream, but the interpretation of the dream. That impressed Nebuchadnezzar. He said, Daniel, you're wiser than all the others. So I'm going to put you in charge. And so he did. And so soon after that, I don't know how many years went by. Maybe it was months. I don't know. Could have been weeks. Nebuchadnezzar has another dream. Very puzzling to him. Because in his dream... He sees this tree, a very large, strong tree that grew up. And he said it reached to the heavens. And this tree was so strong and big that it provided shade for all the beasts of the field and food for all the birds and the animals. And they nestled in its branches and everything else. And it was puzzling to him. So he calls... All of his magicians and all the Chaldeans and all the diviners and everybody else to come in to see if they could interpret his dream, but nobody could. You know, I don't know. Maybe he thought, well, maybe one of my guys can do it. I won't call on Daniel. He's my go-to guy. I'll wait and just see if they can do it. So he calls them all in. They can't do it. So then he calls for Daniel. And he says, oh, Daniel, I got this dream. It's really bothering me. He says, I know, I've asked all the other guys to do it. None of them can, but he says, you can do it because you have the spirit, the Holy, the spirit of the holy gods in you. So he recognized that Daniel had something that different than all the other ones around him. He had the spirit of the holy gods. See, what he was not really willing to do right yet is to say that there's one God, but they're the holy gods. Now, what does the word holy mean? It means set apart, different. The word of God says, be holy for I am holy. Holiness without, no man shall see the Lord. He's called us to be different, to be set apart from this world. He says, come out from among them and be separate and I will receive you. And I will be your father and you shall, and I will be your God. That's what he says to us. So as believers, we're called to come out from among the world and to be separate. To live a separate life. To, to have a different set of morals, a different set of values. To have a different mindset than the rest of the world does, you know. So anyway, I'm not going to get into politics. I said I wouldn't and I'm not. But you know what I, what I mean. <laughs> so Nebuchadnezzar saw this thing. And he was pondering this vision in his, bed, in his mind while he was lying on his bed. And then he says, 
he saw an angelic being descend from heaven and he shouted out the following message. He says, chop down the tree and cut off its branches. Strip off its foliage and scatter its fruit. Let the beast of the field flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump with its roots in the ground, but with a band of iron and bronze around it in the new grass of the field, and let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him share with the, share with the beast of the earth. In other words, let him eat with the beast of the earth. And let his mind be changed from that of a man, and let a beast mind be given to him, and let seven periods or seven years of time pass over him. Well, that would be troubling to me too. What does that mean? So when Daniel comes in, he starts to unravel everything for him and and, and to, to show it to him. And he says, this sentence is by the decree of the angelic washers. Watchers, The decision is the command of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the most high is the ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whom he wishes and sets it over the lowliest of men. So Daniel gives him the interpretation. Then it says in verses 19 through 27. Now Daniel, Daniel shows his true heart at this point. Nebuchadnezzar had called him in, right? had shared his dream with him. Daniel had the interpretation. Now, it would be difficult for any of us knowing what Daniel had, been gone, had gone through. He had been taken away from his homeland by force. Don't know what happened to his family. They could have been killed or they could have been left back in Judah penniless, poor, because that's all that was left behind. Their homes could have been destroyed. Everything of wealth that they had, he took. Nebuchadnezzar took it. Brought it back to Babylon. Brought Daniel back to Babylon. Here he is. He's put into slavery under the king. Now Daniel has opportunity to stand back and boldly declare, look, old king, this is what you got coming. But he didn't. Kind of reminds me of Samuel. You know, Samuel in the book of 1 Samuel, Samuel was a prophet to Israel. God raised him up as a prophet. He was recognized as a prophet. The people of Israel began to cry out for a king. God said, I'm your king. Why do you need another king? We want a king like all the rest of the nations around us. We want a king to tell us what to do, to lead us out to battle and all these kind of things. But God says, well, what about me? But they kept crying out for it. God finally says, we're going to give them what they want. So he calls the prophet Samuel and he says, and he sets things up and he says, there's a man by the name of Saul, son of Kish. And, and, and he lays out the scenario of how Saul would, would become the king and how he was to anoint him as king. And when he did, the people rejoiced. Da, da, da. You know, Saul goes out, defeats all their enemies and everything. But then Saul gets the big head. And so he was supposed to go out to battle one day and he went out to battle and When they finished the battle, they defeated their enemy and he sent for Samuel and Samuel said, I will come in seven days. So he waited seven days for Samuel to come. Samuel didn't come. And Saul was wanting to offer sacrifices to honor God and to thank him for the battle. The people were getting impatient. When are we going to do the sacrifice? You know, the cattle are getting, and we got We're running out of food here. We got to feed these cattle until the sacrifice. You can imagine what was going on. So Saul finally took it upon himself to offer the sacrifices before the Lord. But it wasn't his place to do it. 
that was reserved for the priesthood. It was their responsibility that only Samuel, being God's honored prophet and priest, was to offer the sacrifices. So when Samuel came and he saw what Saul had done, he realized at that moment that Samuel did not have a heart, that Saul did not have a heart after God, and he told Saul that God has taken the kingdom out of your hands. Then that wasn't enough. Saul later on does the same thing over again when it comes to the Amalekites. God tells him to go in and destroy the Amalekites, all the people, all the little ones, the men, the women, the children, the everything. He said, destroy it completely. But Saul didn't. So he realized that Saul had a rebellious heart and a rebellious spirit. So God ripped the kingdom out of his hands, told, Saul, told Samuel to go and anoint David to be the king. In chapter 16, verse 1, God says to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul? We see the heart of Samuel, the heart of God. How long will you grieve over Saul? It broke his heart that Saul did what he did. It broke his heart. Now, Daniel was the same way toward Nebuchadnezzar. It broke his heart because God had given Nebuchadnezzar an opportunity to repent when God had showed him the first vision, he gave him opportunity to repent. Now he's given him another opportunity. Now listen to what he says, okay? Daniel says too, he says, this is the interpretation, O king. And this is the decree of the Most High which has come upon my Lord the King. This is verse 24 through 27. That you will be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place be with the beasts of the field will be given over and you will be given over to eat grass like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes and in that it was commanded to leave the stump with the roots of the tree your kingdom will be assured to you after you recognize, will be assured to you after that you recognize that heaven, it is heaven that rules. Therefore, O king, May my advice be pleasing to you. Break away from your sins by doing righteousness and from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor in case there may be a prolonging of your prosperity. And you would think that Daniel would have been happy to announce this judgment over Nebuchadnezzar, but he says to Nebuchadnezzar, I, I wish that this would be spoken against one of your enemies and not to you. He didn't want to see the king suffer. He didn't want to see Babylon suffer. He, he wanted the king to repent. He wanted him to recognize the God of heaven. He did not want this judgment to come upon him. And Daniel says, maybe there's an opportunity that if you repent, God will not bring this judgment upon you. Maybe he'll prolong it, that it won't come upon you. My wife and I were talking about this last night. And if you read in the book of 2 Chronicles and, and the book about Hezekiah, when Hezekiah was king over Judah and, and God had blessed Hezekiah, he was one of the righteous kings. He was one of the good guys. And God blessed him exceedingly, abundantly. I mean, he had so much wealth and so much good stuff. He was a wise king and God blessed him so much that he became proud. And it says in 2 Chronicles chapter 33 that God withdrew from him for a period of time to test what was in his heart. And you know what happened when God withdrew him from him for a period of time? There was a king that sent an envoy from a nation called Babylon. And they came down to Judah. 
And what Hezekiah did was he took up this envoy of Babylonians and he took them throughout the kingdom and he showed him all the wealth of the kingdom. Took them into the palace, he took them into the temple, he took them and showed them the, 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 the reserves, the cash reserves, the gold, he showed them everything. And so when they left, Isaiah comes to Hezekiah and says, what have you done? What have you done? It was his pride that made him do this. Oh, look how the Lord has blessed me. Look at all the things God has done for me. Look, look. Now, I remember, I've been around long enough to remember this, and there was a TV ministry locally, most of you probably can remember that, called PTL. Anybody remember? Anybody remember PTL? Well, my wife and I used to love to go down there. I'll be honest with you, we did. Matter of fact, my Justin, my youngest son, was about maybe four or five years old. We used to go down there, and he loved to go. He would always come up and say, Mommy, when are we going to go back to P.T. Hale? <laughs> but he loved to go there because they had a lot of things going, and they were building this dynasty there. The blessings of God. I mean, it was awesome. And you walked through and they had like a, a, a place they called, uh, I can't remember what it was called now, but you go into this gigantic building and they had like clouds. And, and it was gorgeous. It was beautiful. And I would always go in and it was always something inside of me would just almost grieve. And I would think, Lord, why? Why, why are we building this? For Christians to come and, and, and just, you know, lavish all this opulence upon ourselves. And I just... But I remember reading, matter of fact, I have the book that Jim Baker wrote called I Was Wrong. I have it in my office, as a matter of fact, and Jim even signed it for me. But he wrote this book called I Was Wrong after he had done time in prison and everything else that all the, for all the stuff that went on there. It was just horrible. It was a horrible thing. But what stood out to me was the pride and the arrogance of the whole thing. And I remember watching one of the shows just before the downfall of it. And I was watching it one day and it just got sick in the pit of my stomach. They were having a dress for success. Telethon thing. And, and so all these people were dressed for success. They were dressed to the nines and all this. And it wasn't six weeks later that it all just came crashing down. It reminded me so much of this picture of Nebuchadnezzar. After Daniel had given him this interpretation of his dreams, Nebuchadnezzar goes up on his roof, the roof of his palace. And as he's standing upon the roof of his palace, he's looking out over his kingdom and he says, Oh, look at my kingdom that I have built. There's no nation under earth that's not under my power, you know. And he was just rejoicing in everything that he had. Then he hears that angelic voice from heaven. It's time. At that moment, something happened to Nebuchadnezzar. He lost his mind. He was taken out of his kingdom. And he was, he was so insane that they took him out into a field. And they tied him down. And it says that he ate grass like the cattle 
And he lived in that situation for a period of seven years to the degree that his hair became so matted and messed up and mangled that it looked like eagle's feathers and his fingers looked like eagle's talons. His fingernails were grown out and everything. And he lived that way for seven years according to the prophetic word and the vision that he had that Daniel interpreted for him. When he came to his senses, now there was a portion of the, of the, of the vision where, you know, they said cut down the tree and, and bind the, the root with brass because it's going to come back. It's going to come back. So that was Nebuchadnezzar being restored to his kingdom. And when he came to his senses, he was restored to his kingdom. And this is what it says. chapter 4. It says, but in all these things, but all these things did happen to Nebuchadnezzar. Now after Daniel had given him that word about repentance, 12 months later he was taking a walk on the flat roof of the royal palace in Babylon as he looked out Across the city, he said, look at this great city of Babylon. By my own mighty power, I have built this city as my royal residence to display my majesty, my majestic splendor. And while these words were still in his mouth, a voice called from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you. You are no longer ruler of this kingdom. You will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with the wild animals and you will eat grass like a cow. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. That same hour the judgment was fulfilled and Nebuchadnezzar was driven from human society. He ate grass like a cow and was drenched with the dew of heaven. He lived this way until his hair was as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. After this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven. My sanity returned and I praised and worshipped the Most High and honored the one who lives forever. Do you see how his attitude changed? Now, he doesn't just acknowledge God. He's worshiping him. And he said, his rule is everlasting and his kingdom is eternal. All the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of the earth. No one can stop him or say to him, what do you mean by doing these things? When my sanity returned to me, so did my honor and my glory and my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored as the the head of my kingdom with even greater honor than before. Now here's that verse of scripture again. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven. All of his acts are just and true and he is able to humble the proud. He is able to humble the proud. Now the Bible says in Proverbs 12, 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. I was in my office one day when I was in Avon. I had a young lady that called me and asked if she could speak to me. I said yes, so she came down and uh, she came in, was very humble. And she was strung out on drugs really, really bad, and she wanted help. And I knew some people that I could get her into Teen Challenge just like that. And I told her, I said, all it takes is a phone call. But you got to want to go. She said, oh, I want to go. I want to go bad. She said, I need help. I need help. 
my life is ruined. I'm going to lose my life if I don't get help. And she's just pleading with me. So I said, okay. And while I was talking to her, I just got ready to reach the phone. I'd gotten the address, the phone number of Teen Challenge. And I was getting ready to make the call. I heard a knock on the door. I go and open the door. And in walks her boyfriend that had gotten her into the drugs and the situation she was in. And so he's like, come on, let's go, you know. And I'm like, no, you don't want to do that. You don't want to go. As a matter of fact, you need help too, young man. So I start talking to him about his relationship with God. This young man had gone to Bible college, had plunked out of Bible college, really got rebellious, got into drugs and everything really, really bad. Backslidden was just hard. His heart was hardened against God. And the Lord just, I've never done this before, before that moment. Never. But God told me to tell him. So I got him by the shoulders and I looked in his eyes and I said, I don't want to tell you this, but I've got to obey God. I said, look, you need help yourself. God is giving you an opportunity to reach out to him. He wants to give you, give you what you need. He wants to help you. But if you don't respond to the voice of God right now, God wants me to let you know that within three months, you got three months, within three months, and it broke my heart to tell him, I said, within three months, if you don't give your heart to Jesus, if you don't change your ways, you're going to die. I've never told anybody that. And my wife will tell you, almost three months to the day after that, and I prayed for him, I cried for him, I wept for him. And three months after that, three months my wife and I are in the bed one night. The phone rings. It's one of our elders who happened to be his uncle. He said, I've got some bad news. And before he even said anything, I said, it's, I called his name. He said, yes. I said, he didn't make it, did he? He said, no. I knew. I knew. It just broke my heart. Because he had opportunity. This was Nebuchadnezzar. He had opportunity. He didn't respond. You see, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And it's pride that keeps us from submitting to the will of God. It's pride that keeps us. We're afraid of what other people are going to think. We're afraid of what it's going to cost us. We don't want to submit. It says in the book of Proverbs in six, uh, chapter 16, verse 17, that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. When we get haughty in ourselves, we're setting ourselves up for a fall. One thing we have to realize, folks, is that whatever good thing we have in this life, we don't deserve. God gives it to us out of his grace and his love and his mercy. Ironically, this young man, the same girl that I was trying to help, he and she had moved in together and they got into a violent argument. And she didn't mean to do it. But he was threatening her. I think he had slapped her a couple of times and she told him to quit and he didn't. And there was a fillet knife laying on the table and she just grabbed the fillet knife and just kind of did like that at him. And he moved toward her and when he did, she... And it, and it severed an artery in his chest. And he died on the way to the hospital in the helicopter. Thankfully, two of the uh, medical responders that were with him 
said that he was crying out for mercy before he died, asking for forgiveness. And I have to believe in the grace and the goodness of God that he had that one last opportunity to humble himself. And I believe that today he's in heaven because of that one act, not because of his goodness, but because of the mercy and the grace of God. But here's Nebuchadnezzar. And God had given him opportunity, but God restored him to his place. Later on, we're going to find out in the book of Daniel that he had some that were descendants of him who were reminded of that very moment that Daniel stood before Nebuchadnezzar and told him to repent, but he didn't. And what happened? Humility was one of Daniel's trademarks. That's, that's who he was. He was humble before God. He was humble before men. He was humble before the king. Nebuchadnezzar said, he is able to humble those who walk in pride. Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7, he says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, but resist him firm in your faith. How do you resist him? It's through humility. You can't fight him on your own. Humble yourselves, therefore, in the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you. I believe it says in James chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, in the mighty hand of God. Draw near to him, and he will draw near to you. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. See, the devil's not afraid of you. He's afraid of God. When we humble ourselves to him, before him, the enemy has no place to go but away. So humility is the way to God. We can't come to God with our chin stuck up in the air in pride, but we have to come to him in humility. Humility is realizing that we can't do anything in ourselves to save ourselves. We need God. It's not by works of righteousness that we have done, but it's by his mercy alone that he has saved us. Titus chapter 2. There's nothing we can do to earn or have merit toward God to get his favor. But we get his favor through humility. Billy Graham, one of the greatest evangelists of our day, probably in history, came from very humble beginnings. There's a place down in Charlotte now, I think there's a, there's a little house that was his, was his childhood home down in Fort Mill. And it was preserved and it's just a little, little tiny house that he grew up in. Billy Graham never sought for notoriety. He just wanted to preach the word. He just wanted to tell people about Jesus. But his humility and his desire to tell people about Jesus landed him in Los Angeles, California. And up until that time, there were very few people that did this, maybe Billy Sunday, a few others that actually would have open-air meetings and tell people about the Lord to, to just specifically for the purpose of evangelization. But Billy Graham wanted to have some open-air services. So they rented a stadium, and they prepared for this for months. Billy Graham will tell you that the secret to the success of the Crusades that they had in Los Angeles, California, were not because of him, but it was because that army of grandmas 
that he enlisted who met in the basement of a church in Los Angeles, California, and they prayed for him in a round-the-clock vigil for 50 days leading up to the Crusades. When they had the Crusades, thousands of people came to the Lord. Billy Graham would be the first to tell you it wasn't because of my preaching. It was because of the touch of God on their lives that had already been done by the person of the Holy Spirit through prayer. It was humility. It was prayer. One thing about prayer is this. The most effective way to pray is what we see in Luke chapter 18 when there were two men that were in the temple one day. One of them was a Pharisee, a religious guy. The other one was a publican, not a Republican, a publican. He was a tax collector guy. He was hated. People didn't like him. I mean, he was the one who enforced the tax law. He would be like an IRS agent. You know, this IRS agent was down on his knees and, 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 and Jesus said these two men began to pray. And the Pharisee's praying to himself and he's saying, Oh God, I thank you that I tithe, I fast twice a week, I help the poor, I do all these things. And God, I am so thankful that I'm not like that guy over there that publican, that sinner, that IRS agent. I thank you. I'm not greedy like him. I'm just not like him. But this publican, this sinner, the Bible says that he's down on his knees and he wouldn't even look up. And all he could say was, oh God, have mercy on me for I'm a sinner. He humbled himself. He realized his predicament. He humbled himself. We can either be like Nebuchadnezzar or we can be like Daniel. We see the handwriting on the wall. We know what it requires. We know because you've heard the gospel. You've heard it over and over and over again. Most of you here have heard the gospel. If you have not, forgive me, but I'm going to tell it to you anyway. The gospel is this. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loves you. God loves sinners. And, and this is the way that God loves us as sinners. God showed his love toward us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus died for you whether you wanted him to or not not he did because he wanted to because he loves you that much here's the thing here's the thing in order to receive what God has for you don't think that you deserve it okay because you don't none of us do but he wants you to have it because he loves you it's a love gift that he wants to give you he wants to give you so much more than what you've received thus far but you receive it through humility. One thing I know about God is God, he humbles the proud and he exalts the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God and in due time, he will exalt you. It's not about being in positions. It's about being in position. 
It's about being in a position of humility, like Daniel. We see Daniel's life, see what God brought out of Daniel. That's why Daniel's one of the major prophets instead of the minors, because he had something to say. He was a friend of God. Would you bow your head today? Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Father, that you love us so much. You've given us so many things, Lord. You've given us your very own life. You've given us everything that pertains to life. As a matter of fact, he became poor that we might become rich in you. God, he has given us everything that we need and then some. And so, Lord, we're just so thankful and we humbly accept it. Lord, everything that you have given us, Lord. Father, just in case there would be anyone in this house today that up until this time, Lord, maybe they've resisted your love. Maybe they have rejected it because of what others might think or or because they're just not quite ready to receive what you have for them, not knowing, Lord, that you have such an awesome gift to give us that if we will only receive it, it's ours. So Lord, I pray for every person here today. So Lord, I just pray that you would help me, Lord, to correctly state your offering and allow anyone who wants to receive to have what you have for them. I ask this in Jesus' name. Now, while every head is bowed and nobody's looking around, I want to ask you this all-important question. Do you believe in God? If you do, just raise your hand. I think it's about 100% of us here. Now, put your hand down for just a moment. Do you worship Him as God? Do you love Him? Is He your Lord? And is He your Savior? You can raise your hand or you can stand on your feet, however you want to do it. If you want to honor Him and glorify Him at this moment, you would say, He's my Lord and He's my Savior, and I'm not ashamed of Him. See, that's what He's looking for. That's where Nebuchadnezzar got to. He didn't get there right away. God had to humble him. He had to bring him to that place where he had to realize that there is a God in heaven and I am not him. That he alone is God. That's what God wants from you this morning, is that acknowledgement. That he alone is God. There is no other. There is no other God. You've been listening to Destiny City Church a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. For more information, visit us online at destinycity.org.